Well, you're going to have a good morning because you're here at church and it's Easter Sunday. Unfortunately, you're going to have a very bad evening uh, because have you heard? There is a Chinese space station plunging to the earth and we are in the blast zone. Have you heard that? Yeah, AP released an image of this Chinese space station a few days ago. We have a picture for it. There it is right there. <laughs> plunging to the earth right now. Uh, and, and so tonight or tomorrow morning, it's going to land and I don't know who of you is going to be here next week, all right? So uh, it's going to be a bad evening. When I heard about that, I thought to myself, that's unfortunate. I know that there are a lot of stories of things falling from the sky. And uh, so I Googled that, and I found out there are a lot of awesome stories about things falling from the sky. For example, in 2015, money fell from the sky in Kuwait. People pulled their cars over on the expressway because money was falling from the sky. How come we can't have that problem? Am I right? Even I saw in 2011 in England, rush hour motorists were alarmed when it began raining apples from the sky because of some wind vortex in a local orchard. You can get out of your car and get free food. How come we don't have that problem? And then I read just in March of this year, March 20th, gold bars and diamonds fell out of the sky in Siberia after a cargo plane accident. Where was I when that happened? Gold bars and diamonds? No, we're going to go outside and see a space station falling from the sky. I'm sleeping in a football helmet tonight, just to be safe. One of the things about this story with the Chinese space station that caught my attention is they named it Heavenly Palace. There's just something ironic about that. You have humans creating a space station uh, called Heavenly Palace. We're, we're putting Heavenly Palace up in the sky. And then it breaks, and we lose contact with it, with it, and now it's crashing down to the earth so much for a heavenly palace. Heaven won't ever crash to the earth because Jesus is building it, and God says that he wants you to be there. Are you prepared to go to the true heavenly palace? Not this false technological failure, but there is a palace in heaven, and are you going to get there? Jesus said he died and rose again to go and prepare a place for you. So the question for this morning is, who goes to heaven? And the conversation we are going to look at is a conversation that contains the most famous verse in the New Testament, John 3.16. Jesus talks to a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus had the blessing of having a one-on-one -on -one conversation with Jesus himself. If you had a one-on-one -on -one conversation with Jesus, what would you say? What would you ask him? What would he say to you? Nicodemus got in the Bible one-on-one -on -one with Jesus, and we're going to learn from this conversation who gets to go to heaven. The theme this year is called Lifted Up. And in this passage, Jesus mentions why he is lifted up. And we'll find out in that phrase is the answer to who gets to go to heaven. Let's pray, and then we'll read one of the most famous passages in the Bible. Let's pray. Father, we want to go to heaven's palace not a creation of man, but a creation of God. We want to know that we will be with you forever in glory. No more tears, no more pain, no more sickness, no more suffering. But are we on our way? We pray that you would help us to know based on what your word says. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, grab your Bibles and open up to the book of John, chapter 3. The book of John, chapter 3. We're going to go verses 1 through 17. Of course, you know John 3, 16, but we're going to cover the whole chapter. So here we are in John chapter 3, verse 1, where it says this, 
Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, remember that it's at nighttime, that's significant. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The first point you can write down in your notes is this. I must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. Who gets to go to heaven's palace? Only those people who have been born again. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. That means he was a religious guy. He was a guardian and a keeper of the law. Growing up, he probably had all the patches on his Awana vest. All of them. The Pharisees... Uh, took pride in the fact that they would memorize large portions of the Bible, many of them even memorizing the whole first five books, the Pentateuch. So if Nicodemus got up here in a memory verse challenge, he'd put all you to shame. These were smart, religious, and powerful men. This guy also had a position. He was probably a member of the Sanhedrin, which is the highest legal, legislative, and judicial body in Israel. Uh, so we have a picture here of our Supreme Court justices, right? So it, it would be the equivalent of the prestige and the honor of one of these, only combine their power with, like, church power, like he had, he had rule over the synagogues, right? And over the, the nation. Rome was in charge, but these people had a whole branch of the government that they were in charge of. He had power, he had money, he had influence, and he had a lot to lose, which is why he came to Jesus at... Say it. He came to Jesus at night. Politicians know, right, what will affect their poll numbers. So he comes at night. Night is symbolic in the book of John for darkness, and there's a battle between light and darkness going on throughout the book. Nicodemus came at night, and it reflects his doubt, it reflects his unbelief, and it reflects the spiritual condition of Israel, that it would be at night that the official rulers and leaders would come to the Son of God. Not in the day, at night. So symbolic. Nicodemus was living, like the rest of us, in spiritual darkness. And Jesus says something to him. Nicodemus said, Rabbi, that's polite. He didn't call him Savior or Messiah or Son of a Rabbi. We know that you're a teacher from God. It's a lot to say. You see, because the rulers didn't believe that. The ru rulers were greedy, proud hypocrites who misled God's people to works, not faith. And generally, they hated Jesus because he didn't follow all their legalistic rules. So Nicodemus is being nice and polite. We know you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And uh, Nicodemus is getting warmer. He's not saying it right, but he's getting warmer. So Jesus was polite back. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, I think Nicodemus took a moment here old, wise, powerful guy, and just thought, what do I say next? Because Jesus just told him how to get to heaven, and he wasn't prepared for the answer. So he said in verse 4, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? That sounds ludicrous, right? It's, it's a crazy thought. So imagine if you were told this and you like got your mom on the phone. Mom, yeah, we need to do it again. Yeah, Jesus said I need to be born again. I'm coming over. I don't know. I know I was breached. I know how long you were in labor. We need to do it again or I can't go to heaven. Goodbye. Click. It's an absurd thought. And Nicodemus is like, this is an absurd thought. How, how can I be born a second time? 
Just imagine announcing to all of your friends at the family party today that you have decided you now have two birthdays. Not just your first birthday, but you have a second birthday because you've been born two times. And then invite people to your second birthday party of the year. I don't think they would be really excited about that, buying you another present, right? In fact, I found a picture. I think your cake would probably look like this if you tried to have two birthday parties for yourself in the same year. (laughs) There you go. There you go, Mr. Two-birthday-in-a-year person, because everybody gets how many birthdays? How many? You get one. One. Nicodemus is struggling with this. He's like, what do you mean two birthdays? Let me give you a definition for what Jesus meant when he said born again. You can fill this in in your notes. Born again means finding new life through a relationship with Jesus. It's not physical life. It's spiritual life. It's not a new bodily birth. It's a spiritual life birth that Jesus is talking about, and he's going to unpack that right now. In verse 5, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not see where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So born of the flesh means your normal birthday. Born of the Spirit means your spiritual birthday. My question for you is, how many birthdays do you have? If your answer is one, you're not going to the kingdom of heaven yet, according to what Jesus said. Because you need a spiritual birthday. You need to be born again. Now, I was born, like most of you in the room, and I have pictures to prove that I was born. Check it out. There's my baby picture. You can aw. Go ahead. (laughs) Aw. My mom. Me in my little sailor suit. Where's the aw? Aw. Now, those are my baby pictures. That's when I was born. Now, do you want to see... Baby pictures of when I was born again, when I was saved. Do you want to see those pictures? Okay, there's spiritual baby Ryan right there. That's, that's my heavy metal band. I was in a heavy metal band. The name was Wax Illusions. Figure that one out. And here's the next picture of me and my girlfriend, Lauren. There she is there. Ah, That's my hair. See that? I had beautiful hair. It was long... And I was in the metal band, and we would play on stage, and I'd have my shirt off. And we were at metal bands, and I didn't, I, we were at metal concerts. I didn't get saved until I was a freshman in college. But when I heard the truth about Jesus, that he came into the world to save sinners, that I had to be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven, I bowed down one night uh, before my waterbed. I had a waterbed. Any of you have waterbeds in the 80s? Yeah. So I, I bowed down next to my waterbed and asked Jesus to save me. And then I opened one eye, like, did that work? And then I closed my eye again, and I was like, I really mean it, I really mean it. And the, earth, the ground didn't shake, and an angel didn't appear, but my life changed that day. And people started asking me, what's gotten into you? I started reading my Bible over my frosted flakes in the morning, and my dad would just walk by like, is my son in a cult? He once came to a church picnic that I was at and just sat in his car watching, waiting for us to like pull out snakes or something. He's just like this. <laughs> and then when he realized we were just playing volleyball, he got out and joined the party. My parents didn't know what to think. I got saved. I was born again. You could be born again when you're four or when you're 40 or when you're 84, but at some point in your life, you have to be born again. 
It means finding new life through a relationship with Jesus. That, that's what it means to be born again. This is the Christian doctrine of conversion. It's where God's Spirit changes your heart and washes you of your sin, and you become a different person. Jesus doesn't make you a better person. It's not about improvement. Jesus replaces you. You become a new person. In other words, the you that came into this life through the natural means is not fit to enter the kingdom of heaven. Until you get to the end of yourself and admit to God, I can't, I can't. That's the moment when you realize that Jesus has to do something for you that you can't do for yourself. That's when you get to enter into heaven's kingdom. Now, Jesus talks to Nicodemus like he should have known this. Are you Israel's teacher and you don't understand this? Now, why would he say that? Well, it's because this is talked about in the Old Testament. In Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27, we'll put it on the screen. It says this, I will sprinkle clean water on you, God's saying, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness is. It's really in the Bible. I said it right. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit and I will, uh, I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. This is extreme talk. This is being washed on the inside. This is new life through the spirit. It's, it's talking about, it sounds like open heart surgery is happening on a living person. Your old heart comes out, a new heart goes in. So Jesus is like, Nicodemus, you need to know these things. Your rules and your laws are not the way to heaven. It's a new heart. And he describes it as the wind blowing, which means man can't control it and man can't understand it. It's a work of God. This is so humbling. This is so humbling. So a question for you that comes out of this text is, when were you born again? It can't, the answer can't be when you were a baby. If you've said before, well, I've been a Christian my whole life, then you don't understand your Bible. Uh, you can be around Christians your whole life, but you have not been a Christian your whole life. You become a Christian when you are born a second time, when Jesus gives you brand new life because you confess your sins and you ask him to wash you clean within. That's when you get a ticket to heaven. So he's asking him about this, and Nicodemus had to wonder, well, how does this happen? Number two, you can jot this down. Number one is, I must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. Number two is, I must believe the truth about Jesus to be born again. That's how. So reading on in verse 9, Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? So everybody say the word how. How? How, how, how could this happen? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? So he's humbling him. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. In other words, Nicodemus is not in the group going to heaven. We speak of what we know, we, but you're not listening. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, that was Nicodemus' state. You do not believe. How can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. That's where our theme comes from right there. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus about how he would die. He would be lifted up on a cross. But it looks ahead to the fact that he would be lifted up from the tomb and lifted up into heaven. Jesus being lifted up. I must believe the truth about Jesus 
to be born again. It's interesting that Nicodemus' first words, if you look back in the text, when he said, uh, Rabbi, he said, we know. And then he said some things. We, we know, and Jesus said to Nicodemus, um, you do not know. He said, you do not know where the wind blows or where it wishes. And he says, you do not receive our testimony. And he says in verse 12, you do not believe. So Nicodemus does not know. He does not believe. Jesus is indicting a ruler of the day. He's saying, you do not know. But I know, and I can tell you. This is really funny. Nicodemus kind of saw himself as one of the spiritual graduates in the room. So check it out. Here's a picture of a graduate. Nicodemus, I know all the answers through the Bible quiz. And I could tell you. And Jesus is treating him like he doesn't know anything. So check it out. Here's a picture of a kindergarten graduate. Ah, ah. Nicodemus, who's supposed to know all the answers, standing before Jesus, is like, I don't know. I thought I knew, but I don't know. He was blind. And maybe you don't know the way to heaven. Maybe you thought you did. Maybe you've been in church your whole life, and Jesus would say to you, you don't know. You don't know. And you think you do, but you don't. Because Nicodemus thought he did, but he didn't. I must believe the truth about Jesus to be born again. Nicodemus didn't receive, it said, the testimony brought by Jesus. He didn't believe the truth about Jesus. And so Jesus said, you do not know. Well, what is it that we believe about Jesus? Jot this down. Verse 13 says, he came down from heaven. Verse 13 says, he came down from heaven. It says, no one ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Meaning Jesus said it frequently, I have come down from heaven. Come down from heaven to do the will of God. Uh, I'm bred from heaven. He called himself the light of the world. Jesus said he lived before he lived. He came down from heaven. And why did he come down? To save us. You can ask people where they're from. Sometimes you get interesting answers. I like to play chess. Don't judge me. I like to play chess online. And I get to play chess online with people from all different nations. I've played chess, and there's a little flag that shows you like where they're from. So I've played against people from Brazil, India, Saudi Arabia, Venezuela, Libya, Mongolia. I've played chess with all these people. But one special night I was playing chess, and a, a weird flag came up, and I didn't know where it was from. So I clicked on it, and it said Vatican City. I was playing chess with someone from Vatican City. I think we all know who it was. I was like, what a night. So I decided, I'm a gracious person to let him win. <laughs> there you go. Hey, where are you from? Somebody was like, Mongolia? I'd be like, cool. Vatican City? Wow. Venezuela? Sweet. Like, we want to know where people are from, right? Let's play a little game here. I'll say a name of somebody and you tell me where they're from. Thor. Asgard. I don't know many people from Asgard, but if I met someone from Asgard, I'd be like, wow. Black Panther. Wakanda. Wakanda, yeah. Again, I don't know anybody from there, but if I met somebody from there, that would be pretty cool. But the coolest ever would be Jesus. I have never played chess with someone from heaven. All right, like if I click on the flag and it said heaven, it's either an angel or a demon. Like there's no good way for me to continue that game. I'd just be like, I'm walking away. You know, I'm not playing chess with someone from heaven. 
Where are you from? Jesus would say, I came down from heaven. Do you believe that? Just take a moment and look deep into your soul and ask yourself if you really believe that. That this man walking on the earth stepped down from his previous address and relocated from heaven to earth. We believe that. Nicodemus was still undecided. He came down from heaven, and it also says that he is the son of man. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. Now, what does that mean? The son of man is an Old Testament title of the Messiah. So jot this down. He is the promised Messiah. The Old Testament speaks in the book of Daniel about one who is the son of man. Jesus is identifying himself with humanity. So you might be like, well, I'm a son of man too. No, this is a title of one who would be a heavenly ruler, but also would be of mankind. And it was puzzling when they talked about this person in the Old Testament because it didn't quite make sense. Is he heavenly or is he of earth? Uh, Both. Look at Daniel 7, 13 to 14. We'll put it on the screen. Daniel saw a dream. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. There's that phrase. And he came to the ancient of days. Now that's God the Father. And he was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. God is giving a heavenly kingdom to someone called the Son of Man. That Son of Man is described as one who is of old, meaning he lived before he lived. This is God the Father bestowing on his Son a kingdom forever. Jesus is the rightful ruler of heaven and earth. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Fine if you've been raised in the church. Fine if you had some patches on your Awana vest. Fine if you think Jesus was a good person. That's not what the Bible asks you. That's a pretty low bar for you to concede to. The Bible says he came from heaven and he's the rightful ruler of heaven. Is that what you believe about Jesus? Because if you do, you'll be going to the kingdom of heaven. If you don't, you're like Nicodemus. You're still in spiritual darkness. But Jesus wants you to know. He came down from heaven He is the promised Messiah. And then it says in verse 14, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jot this down. He came to die for us. He came to die for us. Now, what is this story here? Moses lifting up the serpent, wilderness. Like, that's really confusing. And like, everybody knows John 3.16, but in John 3.14, how come I don't know that story? Let me tell you that story, because in our regular series, we're in the life of Moses, and it's a good chance to show how the Old Testament parallels things that are happening in the New Testament and looked ahead to them. So the story goes like this. The Israelites doubted God. They were not happy with God, so they started grumbling against God. Okay? And then when they were grumbling against God, they invited his judgment. So he allowed fiery serpents, snakes, to come among them. Maybe you're not a snake person. How many of you would say you're not snake people? Put up your hand if you'd be like, I'm, I'm really not a snake person. Thank you. Thank you for your honesty. I'm more not a spider person, but I'm not a snake person either. So here they were, uh, and, and snakes came among them and started biting them, and people were dying. And then they repented of their sin because they knew they had angered God. They repented of their sin, and, and then they said, help us, help us. And so God said, here's what I'll do, Moses. Put a snake on a staff and lift it up. And then anyone who's bit 
by the snake can turn and look to the snake on the staff and they would be healed just by going like this, right? Just by going like that. Uh, that's it. It's as easy as that. So we're going we're gonna to reenact this right now. Raise your hand up again if you didn't really like snake bites. Go ahead. Come on, raise up, raise up your hand. All right, so uh, Pastor Jeremy, you'll be good at this. Go ahead and stand up. Pastor Jeremy doesn't like snakes. Uh, so unfortunately, you're having a terrible day. You just got bit by a snake, all right? <clears throat> you just got bit by a snake. Good. <laughs> very good. Now you're showing your wife. She's very sad because this is a terrible day, and this is a fatal wound. In fact, everyone around him is very concerned. Oh, oh. <laughs> so we have a dying man in the room because he just got bit by a snake and the venom is running through his veins. But the Lord has provided something miraculous. So, so someone would run up and be like, I've got a snake on a staff. And you know, so now I'm like, where's Enoch with that stick? Somebody get the stick with the snake on it. It seems kind of absurd, doesn't it, that this is our plan. They didn't have health care. They didn't have Humana. They, but God gave something special all right, so we're going to put a picture on the screen here. So, Jeremy, all you have to do is turn in faith toward this stick with the snake on it that we put up, and then you will be healed. So go ahead and do that. And look down at your wound again and show your wife. And I think you'd be a little more excited than that. He's going to live, everyone. He's going to live. All right, you can be seated. Now, that's the story. That's a story. And we believe God can do miracles whenever he wants. And that happened. So all people had to do was track down the guy who was holding the snake on the stick and look to it by faith. Right Now, did, did the serpent or the stick do the healing? Did it? wasn't magic. God did the healing because the person by faith, this was an act of repentance. They knew the snakes came because they disobeyed. And they were turning back to the Lord's provision and following his command. And because of that, they were healed. Jesus now talks about that story. Nicodemus would know it. Jesus says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so put that picture back up again, as Moses lifted up the serpent, see how it's been lifted up, in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man, that's Jesus, be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. This foreshadowed his death and what would happen because of his death. This, this story teaches us a few things. First of all, the nature of sin. You have a snake bite. You have a snake bite. And the poison of sin flows through your veins. And the prognosis is you will die. No amount of religious effort can cure you. No amount of good works can heal you. No amount of love for your family or your friends or your neighbors can get the venom out of your veins. You've been bitten by sin and it's a fatal wound. God has to do something to heal you. Something miraculous. And just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, and those who turned in faith to the provision of God were healed, so you must turn in faith to what? To the cross, where Jesus was lifted up. And all you do, the sum total of your effort, is this. That's it. That's all you do. All you do is turn to the Son, who has been lifted up for you. Your wound is incurable and time is running out. You have to believe the truth about your sin. The truth about your sin is it's fatal and there's nothing you can do to cleanse your system of all the toxins. God must do that. So this leads us to our third point. 
The first point is I must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. The second point is I must believe the truth about Jesus to be born again. The third point is if I repent and trust Christ, I will be saved. And here we've come upon it. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. John 3.16 The most famous verse in the New Testament. Jesus says it at night to a ruler who is embarrassed and ashamed to come to Jesus during the day. And he gets to hear one of the most precious things we have ever heard. For God so loved the world. God loves you. Do you know that's true? Do you know that's true? Do you know God loves you? Maybe no one's ever told you that. No matter your failures, no matter your shame, no matter your secrets, that on judgment day will be read for all of heaven to hear, no matter. Our world, have you seen the New York Times, Lord? And God loves the world despite everything we're doing with it? He does. Our world is messed up and beyond repair and God still looks with love on the world longing to rescue us. God so loved the world So what did he do? He gave his only son. This was a -a one-of-a-kind gift. Jesus was one-of-a-kind. He is God's only son. You might say, well, I'm I'm a child of God too. Yeah, but you're adopted if you're one of his. We are adopted into his family through grace. You're not born a child of God. You are reborn a child of God. Jesus has an unbroken bond with the Father that predates all of creation. Jesus is one with God. He never had to be brought into God's family. That makes him unique. He's the only one who is the son of God forever. And he's the only one who's sinless. He bears God's nature. Listen, you might think God loves you, and you actually might be wrong. If you've not received the love of God in Jesus Christ, then you don't have God's love in your life yet. God doesn't love everything you do. He doesn't love everything you are. He's displayed his love for you in sending his son. The truth is this. All of God's affections for you are bound up within his son. So if you have his son, you have his love. If you don't have his son, you don't have his love. Sometimes people are living ways that are completely out of line with the Bible and they know it. And they say, well, God is love. Right. That's why he sent his son. And if you think that God's looking with love upon you because you can just live any old way you want, you don't know the Bible. The way God expressed his love for you is by sending his son. If you receive his son, you receive his love. But to receive his son, you have to repent and turn from your sins. You have to turn from the snake bite of sin and seek a healing from the one who has been lifted up. That's the way God's love comes into your life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him, notice that it's just by faith. It's just by faith. It's not your work. It's not your effort. It's not how many times you've gone to church. It's not what denomination you're a part of. Do you want to know who doesn't go to heaven? Religious people don't go to heaven. Do you want to know who doesn't go to heaven? Good people don't go to heaven. Patriotic people don't go to heaven. Uh, uh, Good parents who love their children don't go to heaven. Those people don't go to heaven. Want to know who does go to heaven? Saved people. Born again people. If I were to ask you why God would let you into heaven, I'm sure you would have an answer. What would you say? If you were to write down one sentence, if you're standing at the pearly gates and St. Peter is right there, why should I let you into heaven? one question quiz, and your eternity depends on it, what would you write down? Why should I let you into heaven? 
If your answer starts with the word I, you're probably on the wrong track. I live like the way I thought it to be lived. I went to church a lot. Nope. I was a good person. Nope. I was born again. Ding. I looked to the sun. Ding. I put my faith in the one who died for me. That's the answer that needs to mark your faith. Jesus came to die for you so that anyone who believes in him can simply turn and be healed of a fatal incurable wound. That's it. If you think you can work for it, if you think you can pay your debt off or, or do enough good to offset the bad, you don't know what the Bible says. You can't. The debt you owe is astronomical. It's beyond your ability to repay. But the sinless Son of God, He had the moral authority to cancel your debt because He paid it in full at the cross. That's great news. That's great news. If you're still, like me, maybe you were raised in a religious tradition where you thought you had to work for it. You had to go every week and you couldn't leave early and you needed to give and you needed to go through the steps. No, you can't ever do enough to work your way into heaven. The Bible says it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. It's free, but God's son paid the price. It says, whoever believes in him should not perish. Understand that you do have a fatal wound, and hell is our original heading. Because we sin, we will die, and we'll go to hell. Uh, sometimes people have a problem with hell, and they say, well, I don't know how a good God could allow hell. How many of you have heard people say that before? I don't know how a good God could allow hell to exist. You have to get to the point in your own heart where you see the blackness of your sin, and you can confess honestly that hell is your fault. Hell is my fault. Hell is the place for people who don't love God. Hell is where people go when they don't love God's law. When we hate God's love and we break his law, are we really going to be welcomed into heaven? Heaven with sin is not heaven. That would be great. The first day you're in heaven, you're walking around and someone steals your iPhone. Welcome to heaven. Do you want heaven with sin? No. So if you're holding on to your sin now, you see you have different desires in you. Because you want to heaven without sin, but you don't want to let go of your sin. God can't allow that. You have to let go of your sin and turn and look to the Son. Then you're fit for heaven. If I repent and trust Christ, I'll be saved. Then it says, should not perish, but have eternal life. Eternal life is life you can't get from food. It's life that never ends. It's life in God's presence. Abundant joy, unbelievable power, immeasurable blessing. And if you're saved, you already have it. And if you're not saved, God wants it for you. In verse 17, it says this. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, yet. Jesus is clear, that's coming. But in order that the world might be saved through him. This is your chance. This is your chance to be saved. This is your chance to be born again. This is your chance here and now today to say, I, I'm filled with sin, and it's fatal. I've been bit. I'm dying. I need someone to help me, and Jesus is the one who was lifted up for you. This is your chance. If you don't have a story of when you were born again, when you embrace the truth about Jesus, then maybe today's your day. Last year, I read a story, a book, that was really amazing. You see, I grew up in the 80s, and I love to watch professional wrestling. Anybody else? WCW, WWF, anybody else? Willing to admit in church that you watched pro wrestling growing up? All the WrestleManias, I watched them all. 
Two of the most popular wrestlers in the 80s were Sting and Lex Luger. Not Lex Luthor, Lex Luger. All right, check it out. Here's their action figures, Sting and Lex Luger. They teamed up a lot, and they were friends outside of the ring. So when I heard that, that Lex Luger became a Christian, and when I heard that Sting wrote the foreword to his book, I had to read it. I know you're going to think I'm nerdy, but I had to read it. So Lex Luger wrote a book called Wrestling with the Devil about how he came to faith in Christ. I went into this book with low expectations. I'm like a wrestler writing a book. I, I was like in tears as I was reading his story. And his story is this. He made tons of money when he became famous in pro wrestling. He said that it felt like Christmas every day because he could spend anything. He could spend $50,000 on jewelry if he wanted to. He had a family but he had his girlfriends on the side. His fame enabled him to misbehave without consequences. He was pulled over once in his hot you know, rod going 167 miles an hour. And the cop saw it was Lex Luger, just let him off. He's above the law. But the fame, <clears throat> the fortune, the glory was not satisfi satisfying his soul. So he started to supplement with drugs and alcohol, sneak around and try more illicit relationships. He says in his book that he was bothered by the man he had become. He wrote this, my life had become a total lie. My life, he had the body, he had the women, he had the money, he had the job. Who wouldn't like a stadium of people cheering for you every night? He lost his marriage. He was doing jail time because one of the women that he was with overdosed on his watch with his drugs and she died. He was held accountable. He went to jail. He kept hitting one rock bottom after another, but it wasn't changing his heart. Then one night in the hotel room, he overdosed on drugs, and he had a dream he would never forget. It was his own funeral. He was at his own funeral, and his family was gathered around. And then as if that's not as horrifying of a dream as possible, he began to crash through the ground into darkness and he hit this miry muck where he was in total darkness and he continued to sink. And he just saw one faint glimmer of light above him and then he woke up. He was terrified. He was in a hotel room and he ran to the drawer and opened the Bible and started reading it. And after he read for a little while, he stopped and slammed it shut and threw it up against the wall and said, what am I doing? God was after him. God was after him. After he had another relapse of drugs and alcohol and he woke up in jail again, a chaplain named Steve gave him a Bible his first night in jail. Lex tried to avoid Chaplain Steve because he thought he was nerdy, but Steve was relentless. When Lex was released from jail, Pastor Steve hounded Lex everywhere. He asked Lex to become his personal training partner, this overweight guy. He said, can you train me at the gym? And so he went to the gym with a professional bodybuilder every day of the week going through these workouts just because he wanted to reach Lex with the gospel. Every morning he showed up, just completely beat up. Steve was after him. They became friends. Steve helped him to get his license back. Steve helped him to get his life back in order, and so they started hanging out a lot. He came to church with him once. Lex's heart was changing. He was sitting in Steve's vehicle one day as they were running errands, and he took a Bible tract that he saw, and he brought it home with him, and he read it. And in that tract was the chapter of John 3. And Lex read the story of the conversation with Nicodemus that we're talking about today. And in it it said, you have to be born again to inherit the kingdom of God. And he had no idea what that meant. So when Steve came over to the hotel room one night, they were watching a basketball game, Lex pulled out the track and he said, hey, I was reading this. And Steve stood up, what? And Lex stood up, what? 
And Lex is like, why are we standing up? And Steve's like, this is the moment I've been waiting for. And Lex is like, I just don't know what it means to be born again. And Steve explained it to him. Let me read to you that page uh, in the book. Lex, to be totally honest, are you truly happy with the direction your life's taking right now? No, I admitted. Honestly, I've made a complete mess of things. Lex, that's okay. We all make a mess of things and we try to do things on our own. But there's a much better way for all of us. God has always had a plan for each of our lives, including you. Steve, I've done so much stuff, it's too late for me. I thought I had gone too far down the road and I didn't think I could ever make up for what I had done. It was the most honest I had ever been with myself. What do I need to do, I asked. Steve said, ask God for his forgiveness. Man, all this stuff I've done and the people I've hurt, I can be forgiven for everything right now? Yes, you can. Steve got down on his knees in front of the couch and I followed suit. I repeated the words that Steve prayed. God, I'm a sinner, and with those first words, I broke down. He's a bodybuilder sobbing. Jesus, please forgive me. Come into my heart and take over my life. Then an incredible thing happened. The same brilliant light that I had seen in my dream, the tiny speck that had pulled me up out of the muck and darkness, I felt it inside of me. It purged me from the inside out with such power that I thought I was going to spontaneously combust. It was like being power washed by light, scoured clean of the darkness inside of me. I had never felt anything like it before. There was no doubt in my mind that something supernatural had just happened. This is a man who was born, born again. And not everyone experiences it like that, but that is what happened. I love his phrase. It felt like I was being power washed by light. When Sting, Lex Luger's friend, found out that he had become a Christian, Sting baptized Lex Luger in the hotel swimming pool. I was blown away. I was like, I had no idea what this book was going to be. And I'm in tears reading it, and I was just so moved. This is a guy who got off track in life, and God did a radical work in him to save him. His sins were not small sins, and neither are yours. But God changed him and saved him and washed him within with light. Hey, this is the good news of the gospel. Have you been born again? Have you been born again? Have you found brand new life by asking Jesus to be your Savior? Have you been trusting the wrong things to get into heaven? If you could have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with Jesus, we know what he would say. He would say, unless you're born again, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. I don't know what you came in here trusting. I don't know why you think you were going to go to heaven, but there's really one answer that will suffice. When you stand before those pearly gates, and God says to you, why should I let you into heaven? The only answer you could give that will satisfy a holy God is, I'm with him. I'm with him. That's it. Any other answer and you're going off forever. I'm with him. You lifted up your son and I turned. I did this. I did it in faith and I believe. Is that your story? Because if it's not, today can be the day that you ask Jesus to be the Savior. Today could be the day you turn and look to the Son and you're saved forever. How many of you, if you put your hand up, would say you were saved within the last five years? You gave your life to Christ within the last five years. Raise your hand up nice and high. Check it out. There's young people. There's middle-aged people. There's old people. And, and they said within the last five years it happened. How many of you, it's within the last ten years that you were saved? How many of you would say you were saved at a younger age? When you were a child or a teenager? And if your hand didn't go up, maybe you don't know that you're saved because it hasn't happened yet. And maybe today can be the day. We're going to close in prayer now, and I'm going to give you a chance in that prayer to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. 
And even to put your hand up to show me, to show God, even though everyone else's eyes are closed, that you're accepting Jesus as Savior and Lord today, that you're looking to the Son. Let's close our eyes, let's bow our heads, let's bow our hearts before the Lord, and let's pray right now. And just as we heard from the testimony, I want you to be more honest with yourself and with God than you've ever been before as we pray. Father in heaven, I know there are some here right now who don't know that they're going to heaven. Their hand didn't go up. They're not sure they have a story. But you want them to know that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I love what the old hymn says, the vilest offender who truly believes that moment his transport receives. It's the vilest offender who can be saved. Father, I pray that you would right now be moving in the hearts of men and women, young and old, calling people unto salvation. And maybe there are people right now, I'm confident, who are ready to receive Christ as Savior. The Word of God has taken away their excuses. The Word of God has penetrated and revealed their sin. The Word of God has called them to look to the Son. And Lord, I want to give them a chance in a moment to raise their hand up just to show you and no one else, just to show you that today is the day they are receiving Christ as Savior. Father, I want them to be honest with you and to be honest with themselves and to be able to admit that they need a Savior, that sin is fatal, but that you sent your Son to die on the cross to take all their sins away. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Father, I'm asking and inviting those who are ready finally to receive Christ as Savior to have the courage right now to show you by raising up their hand. And I'm inviting them to do that right now. If you are ready to receive Christ as your Savior and Lord, I'm inviting you to raise up your hand right now to show God that you're ready. Go ahead and do that. No one's looking but God. And he searches the heart. And he sees you. Thank you. It takes courage to put your hand up first. But I'm sure there are others right now. You feel God convicting you. You feel God calling you to the cross. And this is your chance. This is your chance to do something private. To put your hand up and to show God. You can keep it up. To show God, this is for me. This is for me right now. I'm receiving this right now. Let me invite you to put your hand up if you want to receive the truth that you've heard today. Put it up nice and high. Don't be ashamed. We have several people who are right here and right now saying, I need this. Hold it up. Let him see you. Let him see you. There's no shame. There's no shame in admitting what the rest of us know, that we are sinners who need to be saved. You didn't miss it yet. You can still do it right now. Hold up your hand. And I'm going to pray with you in a moment. Hold up your hand right now. This is your chance. This is your chance to humble yourself. This is your chance to show God you're listening to him. Hold it up. you're holding your hand up, let me just invite you to pray right now. You can say this with me 
out loud to yourself. You can say this with me. Say this. Say, Father, forgive me. Say it. Father, forgive me. For I have sinned. I confess my sins to you. Say it and mean it. I look to the Son. I look to Jesus who died for me. Say it. And I ask him to forgive me. Come into my life. Wash my sins away so that I will go to heaven forever. Father, those people who have prayed and displayed to you their humility, fill them with joy for you have saved them. We know that the angels of heaven rejoice over one sinner who repents. Show them, Lord, that you will never leave them, you will never forsake them, that this is an eternal moment between you and them. Show them that they can have peace with God, not because of what they've done or not done, but because of what Jesus did for them on the cross. Give them reassurance that one day they will stand before the throne of God, unashamed and with great joy. We give you all the glory on earth and in heaven, Jesus, because you did this. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing.